to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. It is September the 4th, weekly roundup number 12. Plenty of news. So, Devin, let's get right into it. Um, listeners, we're going to start off with our first segment here. Interesting story out of Illinois. I know we reported on them doing news literacy in their curriculum now, but seems like they're starting to do some interesting things, Devin, within their schools. Uh, students across Illinois will be able to take five excused mental health days starting in January. The bill was signed by their governor last month, and it says students can decide to take a mental health day and will not be required to provide their school with a doctor's note and will be able to make up any work that they missed. Uh, State Representative Barbara Hernandez, who co-sponsored the bill, said having this is going to be helpful for students, really beneficial, especially with what's going on with COVID. Many students feel stress and have developed anxiety and depression because they're not able to see teachers and friends and may have lower grades due to remote learning. So, Devin, that's a really, really interesting story to kind of start us off there. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, you know, something, again, part of a larger mental health trend where we're trying to make sure people focus on it. Mental health is just as important, you know, as your physical health. And so, very cool to see, you know, Illinois kind of taking the lead there, giving those five excuse mental health days. Hopefully that trickles down into our, you know, labor system where employers will start giving mental health days. Um, so hopefully, absolutely, hopefully that trend, you know, continues. Uh, but yeah, so we'll go from Illinois down to Texas. We're going to talk a lot about Texas this show. Um, <laughs> but uh, the first story about Texas is about, you probably heard about it, but the new abortion law that was just um, signed into law in Texas and actually is now in effect, uh, the Supreme Court decided not to stand in the way, and they formally rejected a request by Texas abortion providers to block the state's severe new law that restricts the procedure while uh, there will be other legal challenges coming. And so this was a five, five to four decision by the Supreme Court to formally reject the request to block this new state law. Now, this law, uh, Adrian, one of the strictest in the country, in the country, if not the most restrictive, um, it will ban most abortions um, after six weeks of pregnancy and encourages um, anyone to sue a person. This is interesting. They encourage someone to sue a person that they believe is providing an abortion or assisting someone in getting an abortion after six weeks. And so Texas is the first and only state in the country to outlaw abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. 12 other states have similar early term bans that have not yet taken effect due to legal challenges. And so, Adrian, we were talking about this. This is something that was brought up during the election, Roe versus Wade. And what would that mean with a conservative majority on the Supreme Court? Well, here we are. You know, this is bringing up questions about what is the future of, you know, abortion rights in the country now that Texas has, you know, the strictest law in the land and the Supreme Court essentially stepping out of the way. And is allowing this to go forward. You know, uh, after you know looking at this story a little bit more, Devin, it makes sense why Lyft and Uber are going to be paying drivers legal fees because this law is encouraging people to sue if someone's believed to be you know assisting someone to get an abortion. So uh, that's a little bit of news for you, listeners, that we saw uh, from uh, Lyft, and, Lyft and Uber that they're going to be paying legal fees because of this sort of law. And, and in my mind, Devin, I, I know I could be wrong, but I always feel because our constitution, our founding fathers tried to have this separation of church and state, this issue that we're having with abortion is really a morality issue and that we should be allowing people to have abortions. If some, if a doctor is right by their God and whoever their God is, whether it's a Christian God or not Christian God, uh, if they're fine with providing this abortion and that mother is okay with being, you know, going through it, then they should have it. If someone's not okay with, you know, providing an abortion to a mom, then that doctor doesn't have to give an abortion. That person needs to go somewhere else. Um, I, I think the issue that we're having here about abortion is just something that should not be in the hands of the, of the federal government, state government, local government, just you know, that's between the, the, the woman and the doctor and, and their individual morality law. That's, that's how that can, that's, that to me is how it should be. It should be. 
But like you say, it's kind of been twisted and turned into this morality issue where one side believes they have the high ground because they're accusing the other side of killing children, killing babies. And so when you change the conversation to make it so black and white that you're saying that they're killing children, well, of course, nobody's going to say, yeah, we're for killing children. But that's not the conversation. We've changed it now. You know, say what you want, but a fetus is not a child under most of our laws here in the country. There are no rights that child has. Uh, You cannot get any kind of government benefits for that child that hasn't been born yet. There's no social security. Come on, like, but we've taken it so far now. We're accusing people of doing this. And I just, it's just a really hard conversation to have because it is a side that believes that they have the power and the backing of a, of a book. Their religion tells them that they are correct. So the other side has to be demons for wanting to do it. So uh, it's just. And I mean, <laughs> and it's crazy because when you go to that book, that book, you know, the overarching, you know, message is, is grace, love, forgiveness. That's, that's what it's yeah. about. So but we skip over that. that, you know, <laughs> we, we just talk about how wrathful it's supposed to be. So uh, listeners, you may have some thoughts on it. Uh, let us know if you've got some thoughts different than Devin and I on, on, on abortion, we'd love to, you know, shoot us an email info at blackagendapod.com or post some comments on our social media at black agenda pod. Uh, we'd love to get your thoughts on that. Um, another story to, to, you know, to kind of stay in the South here, but to go over to new Orleans, um, power should be restored to new Orleans by the middle of next week. Utility official said on uh, yesterday, uh, sheriff deputies have warned people uh, returning communities outside the city to come equipped like survivalists because of the lack of basic services in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida. The storm knocked out electricity to more than one million customers in Louisiana, but almost all lights in the city should be back on by Wednesday, according to Energy. The company that provides the power to New Orleans and much of southeast Louisiana and the storm's path. Um, that's a lot, Devin. I mean, it's, you know, that's, I, I can't imagine, you know, that sort of, you know, you know, that many people without power. I mean, that's especially, you know, I, I imagine it's probably hot right now. I'm glad that it's getting a little bit cooler. Um, but uh, another bit of story that, you know, kind of come around this, you know, you know, you know, to kind of round off this a little bit. Uh, there was a man that was caught on tape that was confronting NBC News reporter Shaquille Brewster uh, and was arrested in Daytona, Ohio. His name was Benjamin Eugene uh, Dagley. He was 54, charged toward Brewster on Monday while the correspondent was reporting on air about Hurricane Ida's arrival in Gulfport, Mississippi. As previously reported, Dagley is seen in the shot's background, pulling up in a white pickup truck, then rushing towards the NBC News crew. He gets right up to Brewster's face and the and the anchor attempts to push him back by pressing his hand to the man's chest. Much of what is said to Brewster was unintelligible, but he could be heard demanding that he report the news accurately. Um it's just, you know, too much happening, Devin. There's already people without mm-hmm. power, less known somebody that's just harassing uh, a news anchor. Good. This country never ceases to amaze us. <laughs> you know, just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Mr. Uh, Mr. Dagley's life, but uh, not the time and place. And he's lucky. You know, the guy was on air. He kind of was nice about it. He didn't try to, you know, do anything to him but if you run up on someone like that on the street you're liable to get knocked out or act you know really hurt you're not just going to walk with somebody's face like that so it's just it's crazy times with covid the hurricane folks need to just chill out and that is my hometown too in gulfport so i don't know what he was doing there uh, he's from dayton <laughs> so but our, our next story here again talking about hurricane ida uh, so, so President Biden was down in Louisiana this week, uh, less than a week after Hurricane Ida uh, battered the Gulf Coast. President Biden has officially walked the streets of the hardest hit uh, Louisiana neighborhood on Friday. He told local residents, quote, I know you're hurting. I know you're hurting. And so uh, President Biden has pledged federal assistance to get people back on their feet. And so the government, this is I didn't know they did this, but the government has already distributed five um has already distributed $100 million directly to individuals in the state in the form of $500 checks that they gave them 
which is a first slice of this help. And so a lot more people are going to need it. Uh, a lot of people can't get cell service, so they didn't even know that this type of help was available. So hopefully with President Biden being down there, more people can get their hands on this $500 check. Uh, the last thing here is that not only did Hurricane Ida wreak havoc on the Gulf Coast, but she also took her remnants up to the Northeast and dumped a historic amount of rain on New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts. They all caught uh, the, the brunt of her, what was left of Hurricane Ida. And so right now, police were going door to door in search of more possible victims because uh, the death toll is now at 49 people who have died in the, in the catastrophic flooding that was um, seen across the Northeast. I mean, there were crazy videos of flooding in New York tunnels and the subway tunnels and everything. This was more than three days after Hurricane Ida had hit Louisiana. And just to give you an idea of how much rain fell um, right now, well, this is right now, I, this might be different, but a record three inches of rain fell in just an hour in New York City, in New York. Seven rivers in the Northeast reached their highest levels on record. And so that just lets you know how historic the flooding that we saw yesterday uh, was. And this was, I think, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. So just brutal stuff, Adrian. Hurricane Ida, man, she's going to go down in the record books. They're probably going to retire the name. Uh, just devastating storm from north to south. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's gonna. It's a bad one. Uh, that's why I always tell people when my granddad would ask about living in Miami, I told him no, because I don't want to have to prepare for hurricanes every year. Uh, it's a lot of stuff. But yeah, if y'all are down there, we... Uh, Pray for you, send you a lot of vibes and stuff. Another story to keep us in the South, go back to Texas. I saw this one, listeners, and it it was crazy to me. And I didn't realize that Texas was so relaxed in their gun laws. Um, But Texans can now carry a handgun in public without a permit or background check or even training uh, that's previously required by the state. Texans were already allowed to carry rifles in public without a license. Gun rights advocates, they really believe this is a constitutional right, and they are really in support of this, removing what they consider an unfair burden on gun owners. However, gun safety groups oppose permitless carry, and many law enforcement officials, including including Dallas Police Chief Eddie Garcia and Doug Griffith, the president of the Houston Police Officers Union, they've already called this uh, really dangerous to officers, making it more hard to do their making it harder to do their job. The new law allows anyone 21 years old uh, to carry a handgun unless they have a violent conviction and violent conviction or otherwise barred by law. However, the background check that made it easier to kind of see these violent convictions and things, that's no longer, uh, you can't do that. You know, they don't have to do those background checks anymore. So, uh, Devin, that's just an interesting law to me. I think it's, um, we've done a lot of episodes, I guess, too, on gun control and different things like that. And more guns in the community does not lead to, um, to better results. I think we've looked at some statistics to say a little bit, you know, contrary to that, but um, Texas, I mean, you should have a background check and you should be able to, and you should have mandatory training. I mean, I think that both of those things should, if you're going to have a gun, you should have both of those. You would think so, but I tell you what, the way we can fix this and get this removed is just have all the black people in Texas go buy a gun and start carrying it. I guarantee you, I would scare the daylights out of the people who live in the rich neighborhoods, the politicians, all of them would think twice because this, you know, it's just the wild, wild west here in Texas. And and look, there's something we're ignoring, too, which is that the police here are saying this is not a good idea because it makes our jobs more dangerous. You know, they said they are the ones who back the blue. You need to listen to them. They're telling you this is going to make their job harder. Um, So hopefully. I don't know. But we're talking, you know, we're talking about the police and guns in Texas, but we're going to go up to Minneapolis now where they're trying to, sounds like, get rid of police uh, in Minneapolis. And so Representative Ilhan Omar and Minnesota Attorney General uh, Keith Ellison have endorsed a ballot initiative that would abolish the Minneapolis Police Department and replace it with a new Department of Public Safety. And so the two Democrats are supporting the proposal on the ballot, which is uh, going to be voted on on November 2nd. 
which seeks to create a new department that employs a comprehensive public health approach and licensed peace officers if necessary. And that is in quotes. And so the initiative would remove language in the city charter that requires Minneapolis to keep a police department with a minimum number of officers based on population. The city would then create a new agency responsible for integrating public safety functions into a comprehensive public health approach to safety. And so this new agency would have police, this is in quotes, if necessary to fulfill the responsibilities of the department. Opponents say the ballot question doesn't guarantee that a new public safety department would have police officers at all. So Adrian, we were talking about it before the break. It kind of sounds like they are going down that road of getting rid of their police department and creating this new kind of agency that's public health driven, but has an element of, you know, public safety, which is licensed peace officers who will be only used if necessary. It's pretty interesting. I don't know if it's going to quite work out. You know, it's a ballot initiative. Um, Newark, New Jersey kind of tried this approach and it worked a little bit. It's not perfect. So it'd be interesting to see how this how this goes. Yeah. I'm I'm intrigued by it. I'm ready to see the progress that they're doing or they're going to do rather with it. Uh, I'm I don't know if I'm fully on board because I think for really violent crimes, you need a police force. So maybe that's the if necessary part of it. But <laughs> we'll see. And we'll make sure listeners to keep you in the loop as this kind of progresses. But we're going to give you a break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into our second segment where we're going to go over even more news a lot of topics to kind of get you freshen up for your weekend. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So we're going to start our second segment off with some economic news here. So uh, I think on Thursday or Friday, we got the new jobs report for uh, July and it kind of, well, not for July, for August, and it kind of disappointed. So right now, employers, it says employers added 235000 uh, payrolls or jobs last month, which is far fewer than the 720,000 I was expected. That's a huge difference. Uh, the unemployment rate dropped to 5, 5.2% from 5.4%. But the interesting thing is, is that uh, the August 2021 jobs report showed that Black workers are facing an even bigger struggle to find employment compared with other job seekers of other races. We've known this before. We've always chronically had a higher unemployment rate than other races. It's getting worse a little bit here. The rate, uh, the unemployment rate for black workers uh, in August rose to 8.8%, which was up over half a percent from July when it was 8.2%. The white unemployment rate, however, has fallen to 4.5%, and the Asian unemployment rate dropped to 4.6%. And then rounding it off, the unemployment rate for Hispanic and Latino workers inch lower to 6.4%. So what you see is every other racial category saw their unemployment rate drop, while Black workers saw an almost point, uh, almost a half percent increase, Adrian. So as you can see, an uneven recovery uh, from an already uneven you know, collapse of the economy that affected our community. And it's just the same kind of story we hear all the time with every economic crisis. Absolutely. And it's definitely not the situation where people are just wanting to sit home and not work because uh, I've lived in poverty with a parent who, you know, more, you know, makes below minimum wage to minimum wage and on food stamps and all that kind of stuff. And it's not fun to live that way. So nobody's nobody's out there trying to live like that. Um, so um, hopefully we're able to get better labor policy. Um, we're going to be doing an episode on the labor market later on uh, this season. So make sure you've been in the loop for that. 
Uh, to give you some upbeat news here, since 2004, there's been a nonprofit called Valley of Love Ministries. They've been helping to feed the hungry, uh, shelter the homeless, and provide physical and spiritual support to the needy in Palm Beach, in Palm Beach County, Florida. Uh, it's all been done uh, by out of this nonprofit that started in a small space on Broadway Avenue, moved to a multi-unit complex on Blue Hearn Boulevard, and is now in an even larger space on 45th Street that provides more services, more support, more help. Um, she helps more than 300 people per day. And the she that we're talking about, it's actually going to be honored as a uh, African queen. Uh, the name of the lady is Marie Antoinette Jean-Pierre Thelogene. Uh, she's going to be honored by the country of Nigeria on September 9th. So that's uh, next week. She's going to be honored as an African queen and will be recognized over a 10-day coronation celebration. So um, I guess, you know, listeners, you can, you know, take that as if you are doing good things, maybe someone from the homeland will recognize you as an African queen or king. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Going from being at a nonprofit to an African queen, that's a come up for real. Um, but our next story is not quite a come up here. Uh, but if you know her, her name is Candace Owens. You've probably heard her, seen her on Twitter, saying all kinds of things. But apparently the conservative personality was trending on Twitter on Wednesday after a private COVID-19 testing service denied her service for, for spreading misinformation. Uh, she said, holy crap, I just received an email from a COVID testing facility that they are refusing to administer a test to me because they don't like my politics. She tweeted this on Wednesday afternoon. And so uh, the the people at this COVID testing service actually wrote that they had heard of Owen's uh, appointment and said that she was going to refuse this booking and deny service. They also said that we cannot support anyone who has proactively worked to make this pandemic worse by spreading misinformation, politicizing and discouraging the the wearing of masks and actively dissuading people from receiving life-saving vaccines. And so uh, the the person who wrote this was last name Lee makes a point to inform Owens that the only other local testing site offers a free test that is mailed to Texas and has inconsistent result times. She also knows that the entries, entrance to the site is in a back alley. So she basically told her, you're SOL <laughs> if you want to go get a test. Uh, but it's interesting, Adrian. I don't know. You know, it's it, it's funny in one sense to me that this happens to Candace Owens because she was spreading misinformation about COVID um, and kind of still is. But I don't know how I feel bringing her politics into it. I get that she has been a, a COVID misinformation spreader. But denying her service seems a little petty, a little unnecessary. Um, I'm always thinking of the slippery slope kind of thing. So it just, you know, it's just like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think that if we are going to preach um, medical equality and making sure that everybody's got access to care, mm-hmm. even when, you know, people who are, deniers and you know naysayers if they need help we, we should help them uh they should just maybe we should te- uh, chastise them more harshly uh, you know because of what they're doing and and and, and you know while, while we're injecting them their vaccine we should you know make sure they're tweeting it and you know sharing it and all that kind of stuff so that actually so people can see that they're playing into it but i uh, will we'll, you know if we see any uh, interesting things around COVID listeners that aren't depressing. We'll make sure to bring you those because uh, COVID has been a very depressing two years, but anytime you can find something funny in COVID, we like to kind of share that. Um, this is also something um, funny, um, maybe odd. I don't, I don't even know. Cause it's, it's, it's too much speculation around this school, Devin, uh, out of Ohio. <laughs> uh, the story here, listeners, is, uh, is it's about uh, Bishop Sycamore. That's an Ohio institution that claims to be a high school despite having no physical, physical location and has scheduled football games against powerhouses across the country um, that continues to evolve. Largely unknown outside of Ohio, Bishop Sycamore went viral after it scheduled a game against number two team in the country, according to maxpreps.com. 
IMG Academy. The game was televised on ESPN. Bishop Sycamore actually lost the game 58 to zero, terrible score, which was later revealed to be its second game in three days. Bishop Sycamore claims to be based in Columbus, Ohio, though there's no address listed on the website and the section about us and the section staff. Uh, they're actually blank. The institution is now accused of, stif- of stiffing the Canton Hotel, where it's staying for its nationally televised Geico ESPN high school football football kickoff game. According to police reports, the hotel reported two invalid checks totaling about $3,500 um, that were written on an account listed to Education Resources Group of New York, New York. I don't know, Devin. That's a crazy story. There's just a lot that you could say about that. I guess, you know, they talk so much about people starting schools and churches just to kind of scam people, but it seems like people also scam just to have football games. Yeah. Yeah. This is the most bizarre story ever. And I cannot wait till we get a, an ESPN 30 for 30 or some kind of documentary to explain how this even happened. Obviously, ESPN did not do its homework. <laughs> and check out Bishop Sycamore to see who it really was. They just kind of took their word for it. Uh, that's just a bizarre story. But, of course, we'll keep you updated as, as that story continues to evolve. Um, but we're going to move on here. We're going to go to uh, Apple, the company Apple. So we're going to talk about what they were planning to do. They're not delaying it. So Apple said on Friday it's, it, it is delaying its plan to scan U.S. iPhones for images of child sexual abuse saying it needs more time to refine the system before releasing it. Uh, The company had revealed last month that it was working on a tool to detect known images of child sexual abuse, which would work by scanning files before they're uploaded to iCloud. Apple had, had said in its initial announcement that the latest changes will roll out this year as part of updates to its operating software for iPhones, Macs, and Apple Watches. So um, interesting, Adrian, you know, it's, it's scanning Anytime you upload anything to say Facebook, you, I, I thought these things were scanned, but apparently if you, they're planning to do this when you upload it to iCloud, of course, there's some concerns here. Privacy was the first thing that popped into my head. It's a good cause, obviously, trying to get, fight the the battle against, you know, the, the pervasive child sexual abuse material that's out there. Um, but it does raise the question of, kind of what comes after that. What are the other things they're going to start scanning for? So it's just an interesting, um, you know, conversation around privacy and, and for the greater good, which side do we want to, you know, stay on? <laughs> yeah, it is. Cause it's one of those things to where I think as a society, we can all agree that child sexual abuse is wrong. I think mm-hmm. there's not anybody who's going to you know be on the opposite side of that, Right. <laughs> but there are other topics that, you know, what if, you know, they don't want any sort of pornographic or, you know, nude images or, I mean, they're depending on, depending on what, you know, society will and won't allow and what that company will, you know, can and get, you know, can get away with. Um, that's what, yeah, that's that slippery slope. Cause like I said, depending on what the topic is, yeah, right now we're okay with them banning, you know, child sexual abuse, but, you know, if they start getting into something that more of the general population is involved in, um, then that's probably where you're going to see a lot of upheaval. But um, I think it's, uh, you know, listeners definitely know that Devin and I support, you know, anything that's going to be getting rid of people who are doing child sexual abuse. We just want to recognize that, you know, privacy is, you know, is a slippery slope. So, Basically, when you open it up to this, other things might come out of it. So we hope that whatever Apple's doing, if they are going to start cracking down every year on some new cause, uh, hopefully it's a good cause that everybody in society agrees on. Is not something like one-sided. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to put it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so here's our... Um, other story that we wanted to kind of give you here. Um, This is about some financial literacy news here. It says uh, financial knowledge in the stock market uh, from an early age really helps individuals build long-term wealth. First Generation Investors is a nonprofit focused on teaching low-income high school students investment strategies using real money. With an army of 150 plus volunteers, 
Co-founder Cole Mannix has empowered nearly 500 students with basic concepts of stock ownership through real-world examples. The aha moment for Mannix came when he and his fellow co-founder Dylan Ingerman were playing a simulated stock game in AP Economics. Utilizing real money, FGI kickstarts students' financial portfolio and teaches high schoolers how to help their investment grow. The students are provided with $100 to invest in mutual funds over the course of eight weeks. First Generation Investors provides the students with a list of safe investment products while teaching them the foundations to invest. Uh, that's an interesting concept, Devin. Uh, I, I'm glad that they're doing that. Um, I just hope that, you know, we can maybe see that, you know, other places. Um, cause honestly, that would be, that'd be dope everywhere. And I think that that's the way to, you know, help build generational wealth, give kids a hundred dollars to start investing in mutual funds. And, you know, by the time they're high school, you know, give it to them in ninth grade, by the time they're in high school, you know, maybe if they want to not go to college, they can open up a business with what they've invested in, in high school. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's an excellent program. Like you say, it just needs to go far and wide, needs to be in every school. I mean, in all honesty, this should be part of the school curriculum. We shouldn't, you know, I think it's great that they started a nonprofit, but when are we going to get with the 21st century and start teaching kids how to invest, how to build wealth, how to do, say, taxes, um, you know, things like that? We have to start catching them early. Um, or we're just going to lose them because it's hard to make that time up, you know, when you're talking about investments. But uh, before we go, we have one more kind of quick feel good story for you, uh, which is kind of cool here involving the company Dove. And so uh, in 2020, the CDC reported that black women are two and a half times more likely to die giving birth uh, in comparison to white women. And so in hopes of kind of closing this racial disparity in maternal health, Baby Dove has partnered with Black Mamas Matter Alliance, uh, which is an organization led by Black women with the mission of centering and advocating for Black mothers in the maternal health space. And so dubbed uh, the Black Birth Equity Fund, Baby Dove has committed $250,000 throughout the end of the year to support Black mothers with financial assistance to secure a doula. And so a doula is an individual whose sole focus is on the well-being of the mother. And so a doula serves as an advocate to mothers during and after their pregnancy. And so this fund will provide a one-time uh, grant for expectant Black mothers. So uh, again, another great, not, you know, another great company, another great nonprofit, Black Mamas Matter Alliance, trying to come together to, you know, fix some societal problems that you know, we've kind of been ignoring, which is this one here is that uh, black women are, you know, a good two and a half times more likely to die while giving childbirth. Um, it's something that doesn't get a lot of attention, but I'm, you know, loving the fact that baby dove is getting involved. That's awesome. I'm glad to see that uh, anything that's helping to expand opportunities. Uh, I, I really hope that, you know, some uh, expecting mothers are listening or that somebody who knows somebody who's expecting uh, is listening and, and passes this and, you know, passes this on. But listeners, let's go ahead and give you another break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into our quick hits. We actually got some really funny stuff. So stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guess and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So we're going to get into our quick hits. And like Adrian said before the break, we got some pretty funny stories this time. Um, and so first up is, is a story here about a woman who was charged with selling fake vaccine cards um, on Instagram. And so this woman who went by the Instagram username at AntivaxMama has been charged with selling forged COVID-19 vaccine cards. Um, her name is Jasmine Clifford. She's 31. 
And she was part of a group of 15 people who were charged with fraud by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And so Clifford apparently sold 250 fake uh, fake vaccine cards on Instagram. Prosecutors allege she worked with 27-year-old Nadeza Nadeza Barkley to fraudulently enter at least 10 people into the New York State Immunization Information System database. And so among many of her clients, interestingly enough, were several frontline and essential workers, several of whom worked in hospital settings or nursing homes. And so Clifford reportedly openly openly advertised her illegal business, and she charged her customers $200 for these fake cards and accepted electronic payments, too. And so authorities say she would work with Barclay to add clients to the database for an additional $250. And so what's funny, though, she was trending on Twitter, Agent, I saw it. On one of the cards, they had a picture of it, the fake one. She misspelled the word Moderna and Pfizer. <laughs> she wrote Moderna, M-A-D-E-R-N-A, instead of M-O-D-E-R-N-A. <laughs> and she spelled Pfizer. She just dropped the P and just put Pfizer. <laughs> so uh, very good. Very, it's just crazy. She spelled Spelling challenged, obviously, but it's just, you know, 200 bucks for a fake vaccination card just seems absurd to me that people will pay that kind of money. Yeah, it's free. Like, just go get actually vaccinated. <laughs> they give that to you for free. They give you the vaccine free. They give you the appointment free. <laughs> Everything is free. It's at this free. Point. Like, you don't have to pay money. <laughs> um, that's just crazy to me. But yeah, uh, that one was really funny, Devin. Uh, this one here, I know, listeners, we said we're going to try to keep all of them funny. And this one's funny uh, because it didn't go wrong too bad. But it's about a West Virginia man who was arrested last week after he allegedly chased his parents while wielding an axe and a bow and arrow. And he told deputies that he had to kill them to get the demons out. And this was according to the local report. The man's name is Johnny Carson York Jr. He's 45, allegedly, like I said, trying to hurt his family members on Friday night and their home in Bremwell, which is a small town near the southern border with Virginia. And this was reported by Fox 59 in West Virginia. As deputies uh, from Mercer County Sheriff's Department were responding to the call, emergency dispatcher alerted them that the situation escalated and York was now trying to shoot them with a bow and arrow, according to the station. The parents were able to hide and call 911, which when they said when they which is when they said York tried to shoot them with the bow and arrow. Following York's arrest, he allegedly told authorities that the county sheriff's department, like I said, tried to kill them and get the demons out. And he felt like he has to kill everyone that he sees. So um, I definitely think going back to what we talked about earlier with mental health, um, I think this guy probably could have used some mental health services. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) he could have used something if he's out here trying to get the demons out of people. With a bow and a uh, bow and arrow and the an axe. Uh, all right, Mr. York. Okay, <laughs> but we'll move along here. <laughs> what a crazy story! Uh, but our next story, not as crazy as that, but crazy in the music world. Uh, less than twelve hours after its release, uh, Drake's sixth studio album called Certified Lover Boy has already broke Apple Music's 2021 record for the most streamed album in a single day. And this is uh, coming from Billboard. And so the success has also helped make Drake the most streamed artist on the service in 24 hours this year. Uh, the stream totals will continue to accumulate throughout the day. Uh, the album was released just after midnight uh, Eastern time on Friday. And after, and this came after repeated delays due to knee surgeries and a final hour-long push last night to add some final flourishes. And so Certified Lover Boy features a long list of top-tier collaborations, including uh, appearances from folks like Jay-Z, Lil Baby, 21 Savage, Lil Dirk, Rick Ross, Ty Dolla Sign, Lil Wayne, and Tim's, or Teams, and among others. So I don't know, Adrian, I, you may have listened to it, you may not have. I know I've been kind of checking it out about halfway through and uh, so far, it lives up to the hype. I will say that. It's rare that that happens, but the hype is real with this one. And it's, it's, it's worthwhile. <laughs> well, I um, I haven't um, listened to it yet, but 
I know what I'll be doing um, later on. Um, hey, it's a holiday weekend. You it got is time. a holiday weekend. <laughs> I'm uh, thinking about going to, you know, I might be in Indianapolis later today, so we'll kind of see. Um, this is a is a really, really heartfelt story. Um, it's sad because it happened, but because of the recovery, it's awesome now. Uh, veterinary surgeons at Oklahoma State University announced they successfully performed a correct procedure on a puppy born with her paws upside down. And this is that's really crazy, Devin. But OSU's College of Veterinary Medicine, which previously made headlines for performing a similar procedure on a dog named Milo, who was a rat terrier puppy, and Sigley was born with her paws facing upside down instead of downward. Um, and I didn't even know that could even happen. But just like Milo, the other dog, uh, Siggy's problem looked like that as well. But it was actually her elbows. This was according to Dr. Clary, who performed the surgeries on both canines. For reasons not fully understood, these patient elbows, and this is from the doctor, came out of joints early in life and resulted in severe rotation of the lower front limbs and an inability to walk. At most, they must muster and crawl that seems most uncomfortable and is poorly unsuited for a dog's life. So Sigley underwent the surgery on May 12th. Oklahoma State said that they took out her splints, or, uh, splints and that now she's learning to walk again. So uh, rather, she's learning to walk because she couldn't walk before. So um, that's awesome, Devin. I didn't, I didn't know that dogs could be born with, you know, Elbows that are, you know, grown, you know, I guess, the wrong way, paws upside down. Um, that's that's a crazy thing. But I'm glad that both Milo and Siggy are doing good. Yeah, that's a, a very good, very cool story. It definitely makes you feel good. I didn't know that happened either. I, I didn't realize that was a procedure that you could, you know, that dogs had to get. But what a great story. Um, but our next story here. Uh, it's it's kind of good. It's it's a funny story. We had to go across the water to the UK to find it, uh, but people have been sharing uh, the worst baby names they've ever heard, and some of the entries are pretty terrible. Some of these are hilarious, and so social media users flock to a popular thread to comment their entries, which range from a name of Diesel Duramax to P. Samantha, <laughs> which we assume is pronounced with the silent P. So it'd just be Samantha, I guess. <laughs> uh, the Daily Star reports that other entries include Kingslayer. That's kind of a cool one. Uh, Khaleesi, which is K-H-A-L-E-E-S-I. That's a Game Kr- of Thrones right there. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> I haven't watched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, She's the uh, uh, the princess in that. Oh, the okay. Queen, I guess, rather. You'll, you'll, if you watch it, you'll see. Yeah. Okay. See, the more you know. Yeah, I, I have to go back and watch it. Um, some of the other names were Crystal, Crystal Shining Waters. I hope that's three. That's like a middle first and last. Um, another one here was some people named the children after astronomy. So uh, not so bad for the galaxy, but not great for Uranus. <laughs> um, we understand that naming a new baby can be a pretty hard process, but... Apparently, somebody actually said that they named their child Jacuzzi. So maybe they were in the Jacuzzi when this baby was made. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then lastly here, uh, another commenter said her a co-worker named her baby Strawberry Rain. Um, another one said uh, she named her child um, Anakin, despite the, their children having other traditional names. And then lastly... Uh, someone said they met a girl in college. Her name was Jennifer with a T at the end. I don't know why that was necessary. Her parents must have been really petty because uh, why in the world would you put a T on the end of Jennifer? But those are just some of the kind of the funny names that people have come up with for their children. I am so lucky that my name is just Devin. It's very simple. <laughs> it's, it's five letters. Uh, very simple. Adrian, you got a good name too. So we got lucky. We could be jacuzzis. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those people where I like I like when when people try to you know give some homage to our, to the motherland, but I also studied in economics that people are discriminated based on their names. Yes. So yeah. um, <laughs> take that for this granted, listeners. Um, our last quick hit story here is it's really interesting. Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I I like 
sports, but I, I would, or rather, I don't like sports that that much. I, if I were, if, if this was like a politician who was auctioning us off, like a Barack Obama, I still wouldn't even love it that much where I would want it. But if you are a sports fanatic, you might want to check out this website, but they're auctioning off um, Michael Jordan's underwear. And it's actually underwear that shows signs of definite use. They don't say what the definite use, you know, signage looks like, Devin, but it, it shows definite <laughs> use. And it's being auctioned off with the starting bid of $500. The website Leland said the underwear formerly belonged to the legendary Chicago Bulls player and is being sold by a family member of John Michael Wozniak. Uh, that was Jordan's former security guard. The website said the unusual item shows signs of definite use and has some loose threads evident at the seams. Uh, Leland said the underwear was one of several items that was gifted. Um, it was re- He also received suits, ties, belts, jackets, formerly worn by the basketball great. The bidding is going to close on the 25th. So if you're listening to this, you want Michael Jordan's underwear, um, go to their website and you can <laughs> and, and you can put in a bid for his underwear, which apparently has definite use um, and loose threads. So <laughs> hopefully there are no brown spots. I mean, that whenever, <laughs> whenever they put definite use in quotations, I can only assume that like maybe he's got maybe that happened. I mean, or maybe it's just sweat. I, I don't I don't I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't want his underwear. Um, that's gross, but Hey, I guess I won't say that because that feels like I'm judging people if they do want his underwear, but <laughs> if you do want his underwear, go check him out. Um, what we're going to do listeners, um, as always, we're going to, uh, come back and take a little break here let you laugh through some music, uh, listen to our, you know, go give us a review while you're at it. Cause this next break is actually about going and giving us a review. We'd love to give, you know, get that review on Apple podcast, Spotify, um, even going on, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and letting us know some feedback and what you think on our show. Um, that would be awesome too. So while you listen to some music, go do that and we'll catch you on the other side. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. Hey, welcome back listeners. So as always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. So uh, first up, we know this is a holiday weekend, so things are a little bit different for us. So uh, we will have an episode coming to you on Tuesday. So make sure you look out for that. That'll be all about uh, the economy. We know we just got a new jobs report like we reported earlier in the show, Black unemployment does continue to go up while everybody else's is going down. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in a special economic episode coming to you um, on Tuesday, the day after Labor Day. Um, Then after that, our next uh, weekly roundup will be next Saturday, uh, which will be September 11th. And so we'll make sure to, to, to acknowledge that day and talk about it, make a tribute um, just to let folks know, you know, we still keep those folks we lost on that day in our in our hearts and minds. And so we'll make sure to, to make sure we acknowledge that. So that'll be weekly roundup number 13 coming to you next Saturday, September uh, 11th. And so uh, after that, we again, we say this every single show. I feel like we're probably kind of repeating it. We try to say it differently, but it's the same message. <laughs> support us by listening and downloading. But you can also support us uh, by donating to us. We have a website. And so Adrian's going to let you know where you can go and give us a little bit of your hard-earned money. Absolutely, Devin. Uh, It's important, listeners, that you do this. Um, Devin and I, we love podcasting. We love doing this. But by you doing these donations, it really helps us to kind of take this further, makes it an actual organization that's fighting for change, fighting for justice, lobbying leaders, advocating for something that's going to transform our communities. What you need to do is go to our website, blackagendapod.com, click on the donate tab and just sign up, start giving a dollar a month, you know, escalate it up from there. 
If you're listening to us on the Podbean app, it's really cool because you can actually just hit the donate tab in the app right now as you're listening, and you'll be able to actually start contributing from there. When you do start contributing, you actually sign up to be a monthly patron and you can receive a gift. Uh, well, actually you do. I think even at the, the, the level of a dollar, you receive a little gift. But some of those range from shout outs to being able to give us ideas for what we'll be able to do conversations with experts on. So make sure you go to our website, blackagendapod.com and click that donate tab. The other thing, uh, we had talked about one charity, but it's a new month, so we've got to select another charity. Uh, Devin actually found this one, listeners. So for the month of September, we're going to be recognizing 100 Black men of America, and we're not being sexist because they actually help a lot more than just men. The mission of the 100 Black men of America is to improve the quality of life within our communities and enhance educational and economic opportunities for all African Americans. The 100 seeks to the hundred seeks to serve as a beacon of leadership by utilizing our diverse talents to create environments where our children are motivated to achieve and to empower our people to become self-sufficient shareholders in the economic and social fabric of the communities we serve man that's an awesome mission that's a lot right there um We'll be talking about them and hopefully we'll have a special uh that you can on the lookout for so yeah devin um even though we want people to listen and donate to us, we can still highlight another charity. We can, we can. We try to use the platform to not only shine light on ourselves and the topics, but other uh, great organizations who are doing some amazing work um, in the community. And so before we go, you should already be doing this, but if you're not, make sure you pull your phone out, go to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and type in at Black Agenda Pod and make sure you follow us on those platforms Uh, We put out some great content. We're promoting our episodes, but also just letting you know what's happening in the world. And so, again, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Black Agenda Pod. And so, uh, in addition to that, you can also find us on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, type in the Black Agenda Podcast, and you will find a really, really, really good category, uh, excuse me, catalog (laughs) of interviews and, and conversations that we've had about a myriad of topics, whether that's Black history, uh, critical race theory, all those things. Make sure you check it out. Again, search us on YouTube, the Black Agenda podcast. And so we've enjoyed it. We love you know, bringing you the news. And so this is going to do it for me and Adrian. We hope you have a wonderful uh, Labor Day weekend. Stay safe, drive safely. Um, and so, yeah, just make sure you mask up, continue taking your precautions. We don't want you to come back from the holiday uh, trying to get sick or anything like that. So Uh, For me and Adrian, we'll catch you uh, next Saturday for weekly roundup number 13. So until then, we'll catch you next time. 